If you have ever seen the movie The Dressmaker, starring Kate Winslet and the little town of Dungatar, then you will already have an insight as to where I grew up. For I am one of eight. Well, ten actually, if you count my parents. When I was in grades three to five of primary school, I had a fabulously glamorous teacher whom I shall call Mrs. B. I am sure for all of us that there are people who touch our lives and Mrs. B was certainly one of those for me. All of the girls in my class were in awe of Mrs. B for she was an extraordinarily confident, sexy and outgoing woman with the warmest of smiles. She wore knee-high boots with various skirts and blouses and jackets, depending on the season. She also smoked, which was not so good for her later health. I like to think that I modelled myself on her. Not the smoking part, more the fact that she also juggled her career as a teacher with motherhood, just as I do now. She was also a brunette who kept herself in great physical shape throughout the years, even after having had her children. And as I grew older, I always saw her as having remained fashionable, as each decade brought with it new fashion trends, which eventually looped back around to come back in as the it style at some point in the future. Those three years of my life went by so very quickly. And in between, I recall having had my eye operation. Mum and Dad had needed to take me on an hour's drive to get to the hospital, where I would spend the following two weeks by myself at the age of around eight. I remember watching my parents get in the car to leave that day. I would have said I was weeping softly as snow started to fall. The matron in charge of that ward would possibly have said I was weeping a little too loudly for her liking, for she slapped me when I wouldn't stop crying. Clearly, she did not understand my psychology. It's funny the little things that you do and don't remember about these moments in time. I had never seen snow before. However, at the time my parents were leaving, I could not have cared less about the damn white flakes of snow magically falling from the sky. However, the next day I had resolved in my mind that I had been abandoned by choice and that I needed to make the best of a bad situation. And so I looked at the snow far differently on the following day. For it is indeed a magical sight to behold. What I wasn't prepared for was in the later hours of that day, being forcibly pinned down on the bed, my eye also having been held open as the most insanely gigantic needle approached my eye to ready me for my operation. In the days that followed, I made friends with another young boy in the ward whom I shall call Brett, which just happens to be one of my favourite boy names 
and we became inseparable. The doctors and nurses found our unique bond of friendship as it blossomed to be quite whimsical, I think, and they never really knew where we would turn up. We certainly had no desire to sit around in our hospital beds recuperating. On what was perhaps my last day at the hospital, I recall that we had decided to hang upside down on two very large doors that had large steel bars across them and our skinny little legs were able to wrap around the bars as we hung like bats. Of course, we had no concept that on the other side of those doors was an operating theatre, nor the fact that the doctors would come out of the theatre swinging the doors open with some force as they had finished their operation and were coming out to clean up. We each of us, Brett and I, smacked into the wall behind the door that we were on and from memory, it kind of hurt. Like, a lot. However, we were both laughing with a level of false bravado, as you would at that age, in front of the very surprised doctors who insisted that we must return immediately to our ward and behave ourselves. Well, that was never going to happen. What I remember most vividly about the day I left hospital was the fact that I had not been told that my father was coming to collect me and I was out playing with Brett again. It was as I went to run past a set of stairs chasing him that I saw my father at the very bottom of those same stairs about to climb them and without a second's hesitation I changed direction immediately singing out my daddy! And promptly launched myself into midair. He often later recounted that he was left with two choices that day. The first, of course, in his mind, was to stand aside and let me hit the ground. Perhaps a valuable lesson for me to look before you leap. Albeit, I would have said that me jumping off the top flight of stairs was more a leap of faith or the second, which thankfully was his choice, he braced to catch me. Brett, of course, was left forlorn, as he had lost his best friend that day, and I am not sure what became of him after our stay in hospital together, nor can I recall the reason for his stint in hospital at that time. Beyond the operation, I wore an eye patch for several months, as my eye was allowed to heal. There is a photo of me at one of my cousin's birthday parties and in that photograph I was wearing the pink eye patch that had been provided to me. What I didn't realise at the time was that my other eye would learn to see independently on its own because of the amount of time that I wore the eye patch for and as such I now cannot see 3D. I don't recall how long I wore glasses for, however, I do remember that there came a time when I didn't need to wear them for many years thereafter, until I hit my 40s, and then things changed again, as they do. For life is about change. I love its constancy, and the vibrancy that comes with learning new things, trying new things, and travelling to new places. It was during those years that I also recount one of the major holidays that our parents took us on, a very long car journey 
to Victoria to visit my mum's mother. This trip provided many sources of adventure and some challenges as well for some of us. Prior to the trip, we had no idea that our mother was famous. Well, famous from the perspective that she had been crowned the Molden Beauty Pageant Queen in her teens and that there was a tin full of badges with her photograph sitting at Grand's waiting for us to discover them. The trip itself was a very long and arduous journey which started very early in the morning and we were in a station wagon. I think there were four of us across the back seat and three of us in the lay down space at the back of the station wagon because even though there were eight children at any one time based on the age spread of us kids there was only ever seven of us together at one time on those trips. Anyway we played I spy, we made up random words for number plates, there was lots and lots of intermittent sleeping and switching around from the back seat to the far back and and back again And I think we stopped somewhere and had some food at some point. Arriving at Grand's was interesting. We were all shuffled off to bed reasonably early. Six of us slept on fold-out lounge in Grand's lounge room. There were heads and feet everywhere. There was a fire roaring and Grand had bellows. We had never seen bellows before. And they make the fire hiss and crackle as the air blows into the flames. We were using them for good effect and the crackle of the fire soon brought the adults into the room and we were scolded. It never stopped us from having another go though. However, when Gran appeared for the second time without mum and dad, we knew better than to try again. Gran's house was across the road from an old abandoned gold mining area and there were still fossickers that brought metal detectors into the area to see if they could find any gold nuggets. My sister Maggie and I were hiding across the road one morning, spying on mum and Gran, having a private chat in the front garden. Of course, being across the road meant that we could not hear a word that was being said, but we still thought we were excellent spies. As we lay in hiding, we did not hear the stranger stealthily approaching our hiding spot. And when he announced his presence, he may as well have been Freddy Krueger. He scared the absolute living daylights out of us. He told us that if we found any gold, that it belonged to him. And we agreed with him, nodding our heads furiously before fleeing across the road to the safety of Gran's property. Needless to say... Gran gave us a right royal dressing down for even daring to imagine that we had a right to try and spy on her conversation with mum. Gran was fairly forthright and had no time for the antics of children. It was on a glorious Saturday morning that my mother was in attendance at church. She was assisting with putting fresh flowers around for the upcoming Sunday service the following day, I believe. Dad was sitting at the kitchen table reading the paper after breakfast and Gran told my elder sister Prue to do the dishes and she politely declined the request. Gran was not one to tolerate disrespect from children in her own home and promptly hit her on the head with a pot 
she was handling at the time. Quite possibly it was the porridge pot from memory, which was very heavy and would have hurt. Prue promptly burst into tears and Dad was on his feet in an instant as he snatched the pot from Gran saying, You just try and do that again. To which Gran replied, I can't, you're holding the pot. I am sure Dad wanted to hit her with the pot, give her a taste of her own medicine. However, he restrained himself. He was a gentleman, and gentlemen never ever hit a lady, even a very cranky one. Tune in next time. Much love, Audrey.